Good morning, everyone. Four years if you want to come on up and get ready to go to junior or five years old sorry I messed that up yeah five years old through fourth grade there we go all right for those who are staying how many of you have ever been criticized for doing something good yeah so Something that helped another person. Maybe you did it for someone else. I think my, is my microphone going out? I'm going to need new batteries. So I'm just going to be talking. So, okay. Yeah. Typically, I don't need a microphone. But for the recording, I have to. A short sermon? Is that what you said? <laughs> um, is it on? Test? There we go. All right. I don't know where I was. Maybe what you did for someone was life-changing, yet there was a, someone or a group of people who just had to give their two cents about how they thought it should be done. If you've ever done something good and got criticized for it, today is going to probably hit you pretty hard. We're going to dig into another time where Jesus faced criticism. Now there's a band called Brand New and they wrote a song, it's a secular band, uh, they wrote a song called Jesus Christ and their lyrics are insightful, very insightful. It just went out again, didn't it? Okay, I'll try. Um... I heard it. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Okay, I got a screw loose. Is that what you said? <laughs> Who said that? Oz. That's true. Okay. So there's, here's the lyrics. I'm talking about the second coming of Jesus, and he expresses his fear that he's too much of a deceiver and a, follow, a sinner to follow Jesus. And here's what the lyric says, but I'm scared. I'll get scared. And I swear I'll try to nail you back up. Later in the song, it says, we've all got wood and nails, and I'm sure I'll put you back up. It's a song about hating Jesus and yet wanting to go to him at the same time. Whenever we sin, we are really hating on Jesus. And this songwriter is saying that I choose to sin and I do this evil thing. I'm going to put you back on the cross, but I need you. I need you and I want to choose you. So in the story we're going to look at today, Jesus does something good. Uh, but the reaction to this good miracle is hostility. As we look at this, we're going to see some scenes, be, uh, some things behind the scene. And Jesus puts himself in this position on purpose. So we're going to be in John chapter 5. So in John 5 verse 1, afterwards Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city near the sheep gate was a pool of Bethsaida. Um, with five covered porches, crowds of six people 
blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One man laying there had been sick for 38 years. Now, before we really look at this, we need to know a little bit of the backdrop. On the Sabbath, Jesus goes to Jerusalem for a festival, and he sees this man next to the pool here of Bethsaida, and it catches his eye, it catches his attention. And we know this man has been here for a long time. How long? 38 years. Can you imagine being sick for 38 years? For 38 years, he's been able, unable to walk. He's been carried to this pool where he lies there every day for years on end, hoping that he could get into the water and be healed when the moment of the water is stirred and it seems an angel is present. Now here's a little bit present backdrop. For years, skeptics claim that this pool never existed. There was no proof of it. They couldn't find it. The very idea of people supposedly going down to a pool in hopes of being healed strained the imagination of the critics who mocked the belief that this never occurred and it's just another proof the Bible is not true. It's a story made up until somebody found the pool. Here's where you can go visit it. You can see how deep it is at this point. It took a lot of digging because over the centuries, one layer of city was built upon the next layer and it just kept going. You can see how deep it is now. But back in the day of Jesus, it probably looked something like this picture. Okay, and so you can see where they just kept building layers on layers. This was close to the sheep gate where sheep were brought in and sacrificed for the uh, sacrifice in the city. And as you can see, Um, This, or as you could see if you looked on the map, you can see this is not too far from the temple itself. And it's in this spot that lame and blind and paralyzed people hoped that they could get into the water just as it began to boil or stir or, or move. In that day, it was an urban legend that if you could be the first person into the water when the water stirred, you would be healed. Now, according to other writers... Some claimed it had been healed, most weren't, and if you were healed by the waters, it was, if you weren't healed by the waters, it was either because you lacked faith or you just weren't the first. But we know this is a true place, we know there were real people there, and there was a legend about it, and here is a man, for 38 years he's been there. There's no governmental or special programs to help a person in their situation, The only perceived hope that this man has was to somehow be the first one into the water when they stirred. We also can tell that there were, by the text, there were multiple people there. It's not just like one person. Verse 3 tells us several people were sick, blind, lame, and paralyzed, all laying there in the hallway. So if you were going to walk by it, you were going to have to step over people and go around them. And they were all fixated on the pool, waiting for the ripples. As I was reading this this last week, I was wondering, of all the people, why did Jesus choose this one to engage with? Have you ever been in a place where there's a great number of sick people or dying people in it? You kind of have to weave through it. Have you seen the commercials for organizations like Compassion International, child after child living without much hope? Does it move you or do we change the channel? 
in the backdrop of this scene, not only are there people who need healing, but there are healthy people, religious leaders, walking around, ignoring them. I wonder if any of those healthy people were moved or were they so callous to this scene that they just crossed by on the other side. And then comes Jesus. He walks among those in need. He notices this one guy. We don't know why he took notice of him, but he does. And we could speculate, but that's not the issue here. That's not important. Jesus is among many people. We got all these sick, paralyzed people here. We got the healthy ones walking around, and it's the Sabbath day. And Jesus is aware of this. That's why he came to Jerusalem. And then he looks at this man. Go to verse 6. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, right there we can see Jesus is above a normal man. He knew right away. Knew he'd been ill for a long time. He asked him, would you like to get well? Well, I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Would you like to get well? This guy doesn't go, absolutely. He changes it to, I can't get to that water. Would you like to get well? I can't get there. Someone always beats me there. And then Jesus does something. Everybody's fixated on the water. They're waiting for it to stir. And Jesus comes up and he stirs up the whole situation. Jesus looks at the man who's looking at the water and he says, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. He tells him to do all this and this amazing miracle happens and it has nothing to do with the water or the stirring there. But think of this. What day is it? the Sabbath, Jesus could have avoided this whole controversy that we're going to read about. He could have just said, hey, be here tomorrow and I will be back. He could have told him, I'll be back later and you'll be healed. He could have told him, you're healed, but sit here and wait until the Sabbath is over before you pick up your mats. Because they're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. In fact, you're, you're only allowed to walk about seven-eighths of a mile before it's work. Then you had to sit down and rest. And so he could have said, hey, pick up your mat, walk around a little bit, and then sit down. Because we don't want you to, to work. But Jesus didn't do any of that. Jesus specifically did this, which is proof that Jesus purposely stirred up this event. Everybody's waiting for the waters to stir, and Jesus is the real ripple maker here. Let's go to verse 9 and following. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking, but this miracle happened on the Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. How long has he been sick? 38 years. He's been at this pool for a long time, and the religious leaders, you can't work. You can't carry that mat. What would you do, and how would you feel if you knew a person could not walk, has not been able to walk for 38 years, all of a sudden they're walking, standing next to you? Would you want to go over and say, hey, you're not carrying that right? 
hey, hey, you, you need to walk better. Wouldn't you be excited? But the religious leaders, well, before we get too harsh on the religious leaders, tradition considers that working, and according to tradition, you cannot do certain things that their work on the Sabbath. The Jews had been observing the Sabbath for centuries. The cultural expectation was you do not work. And so they're just trying to fulfill what they think is true. If there was a law in the Old Testament that was too vague, the, the Pharisees wanted to make sure it was super clear for you so they would clarify it for God. So, for example, the law declared it's illegal to work on the Sabbath, but that didn't define what work is, so the Pharisees helped God out by telling everybody what work is. They defined it in 1,521 ways that you could break the Sabbath. It's called legalism. But they wanted to make sure you knew these are all the ways you could. Here, let's just say, for instance, the wick of your lamp burned out on the Sabbath. You cannot replace it. You had to remain in darkness because that would be work. You can't cut your fingernails, tie a knot, or kill a fly or flea. That'd be work because hunting's work. And if you're hunting to kill a fly, that's hunting. Ladies, you're not allowed to look in the mirror on the Sabbath because you might see a gray hair and pull it out, which would be reaping. That's what they said. Yeah, I know, it's ridiculous. Oh, I'm, I'm just in the bathroom reaping. But that's what they did. They made sure that all these things were clarified to this fine point, legalistic way, and here's a man who's cured, who's healed, and they're saying, you can't work. You're not allowed to heal someone on the Sabbath, let alone carry a mat. So verse 11, the man replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up the mat and walk. Who said such a thing as that? Now, we can't just say it in you know, our Sunday school voice, okay? Who said such a thing as that? I mean, the, the audacity of this. They demanded. The man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. In this house, Jesus comes, pick up your mat and walk, and then he's gone. Leaves this man alone to frolic around carrying his mat, getting in trouble. And so he gets questions, and he's like, I don't know. This is where teenagers get it. <laughs> Who told you to do that? I don't know. The man told me. Now, they told him, this guy says, this man told me to pick up my mat and walk, so I did. What do you think the proper response of the religious leaders should have been? Here they see a man who has been here for a long time, at, who has been sick or paralyzed or something. And for 38 years, he's been stuck and now he's walking around and they should have said something different. They should have said something. That's amazing. Praise God. Wow, that is, that is so great. We should go worship God. This man told the leaders a man made him well. So why didn't they ask that about that man? See, these men were focused on their traditions. 
And because they were focused on their traditions, they missed something really great. This man has been healed and the religious leaders missed the miracle because they were focused on the wrong place. How many times do we miss joy because our focus is on the wrong place? How many times do we miss happiness and contentment because we're focused on something else? How many times do we miss the real story because we're not even looking for it? This should have been a joyous time, but they missed it because they were focused on their tradition. The real story was not that this man was breaking the leader's interpretation of the Sabbath. The real story is this man could carry the mat and walk. The leaders continue uh, grilling this man, not knowing who healed him and how. But they wanted to know, um, but who told you to carry? They wanted to know why is this man, not how did he heal you, but who told you to work, really? Sometimes we miss the real story because we're holding on to our old story. If you've been a Christian for long, sometimes we forget how much of a sinner we And we can see people who are struggling in their young faith and they're holding on to that old life, that old story of who they are. And it's hard to let go of that. And the seasoned, well-known Christians are like, well, you just need to let go. You just need to move on. We need to follow what Elsa says. Let it go. It's the first time I've ever quoted her in in a sermon. (laughs) Sometimes we miss the real story because we're focused on the old. When a marriage is in trouble, the husband or wife can become like Jesus because the changes they made, but the other spouse wants to hold on to the old story of how it was. We can see that. Here's the blunt truth about this. If we keep the focus on old tradition, we will never, ever have to change. We just won't. If I keep looking at the old story, if I keep holding on to this tradition, I don't have to change. And how many times have we said, if only it was like it used to be. If only we could go back. Apparently I'm old because now I'm saying stuff like that. And really, we can't go back. I would love to go back to an age when there was real music, not this weird stuff they're putting on the radios today. That's not music. That's all computer. There's no talent. That's my opinion, and I think I'm right. And I want to go back to real music. Can we go back to that? I want to go back to real hairstyles. Ladies need Aquanet. With the hair that went, boom, loved it. And all you young ladies who don't like it are wrong. I want to go back. My grandparents wanted to go back to what it was for them. We all want to go back and we forget that by holding on to that, we never change into what God is doing now. That's what the religious leaders were missing. They were trying to look back and hold back. And they missed the miracle of who Jesus is. Go to verse 14. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple. Who found the healed man? Jesus did. Found him in the temple and told him, now you are well, so stop 
sinning. See, we like to focus on Jesus healed people, but we need to realize that whenever he brought healing, he always had a challenge to stop sinning. Stop sinning or something else, even worse may happen to you. What's worse than being sick for 38 years? Eternity in hell. Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. What a tattletale. Jesus comes up and says, hey, not that you're well. Stop sinning so something worse doesn't happen. Hey, guys, it was him. And he points him and he brings him there. While Jesus did a gift of healing, once again, we see the focus is not about the physical health. It's about the spiritual eternity. The healed man tells the leaders, and so verse 16, so the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. The leaders began to persecute Jesus for doing a good thing, but not the way they wanted it done. They went from being mad at the healed man to upset with Jesus, and it's going to get worse. Look at verse 17 and 18. Um, 17. But Jesus replied, my father is always working and so am I. How dare you do this? And Jesus says, well, my father is working, always working, even on the Sabbath. And so am I. Jesus could have avoided all of this if he just didn't heal the man. Or when he did heal him, just don't engage the leaders. Just smile and nod and move on. Why didn't Jesus look to avoid this conflict? I think it was because he had a real message for them. The criticism of Jesus starts in verse 17 and explained in verse 18. Jesus is going to be criticized for two things here. Healing on the Sabbath and claiming to be equal with God. That's why they didn't like Jesus. When asked why he's working on the Sabbath, he says, my father is always working, God, and so am I. And at first glance, it may seem that people are upset because Jesus did something on the Sabbath. That is part of it, but we need to see what the rest of this says. I'll go to verse 18. So the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him. They went from being mad to murderous mad. For he not only broke the Sabbath, he called God his Father, thereby making himself equal with God. The criticism is that Jesus claims to be equal with God. When you encounter opposition from someone that Jesus never claimed to be God, you need to point at the scripture. The Father is always working, and so am I. My Father, he used a personal pronoun there. And the root of this criticism here is that Jesus claims divinity. Why would anybody be upset at Jesus claiming divinity? Why would anybody be upset about that? Why would anybody be upset? Why would the Jews be upset? The reason that the Jews were and still are strict monotheistics, one God, not man, which Christians are too, is this scripture, Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Jews did not believe in a multitude of gods, which is the polyistic Greco-Roman world. Um, and this set them apart. And when this Jewish man, 
who is educated in the Jewish sacred writings, comes and says, I am God. This is unsettling to their faith, and they feel to their God. They feel this is wrong. From their perspective, Jesus is claiming to, to, uh, to be divine is blasphemous. And it should be unless you understand the real truth of it. He says, it's my father, and he doesn't shy away from the claim. His response to why he's working on the Sabbath? Because my father, God, is always working. So I will too. Jesus understood who he was and what his mission is. And we need to remember that in this miracle that he could have avoided, Jesus understood who he was and his mission. The church never made up the idea that Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus proclaimed such things to explain why he was doing this. There are many times Jesus claimed to be God. He cares about us and for us and does whatever he can to take care of us because he is God. Even if it means entering creation, taking on flesh, and dying on the cross, Jesus knows who he is and what his mission is. The real point of this, that this healed man, that the Pharisees and us, what we all need to come to is, do you have any idea who Jesus is? They really didn't. And I'm afraid that so many times Christians today have no idea who Jesus really is. This would be just another healing incident if it not for the point that Jesus kept making. He pur purposely stirred up this scene. The man did not know who Jesus was and who found him again. Jesus did. And told him eternal truth. Stop sinning. When the Jews asked who healed this man, he didn't have an idea, but then he found him, so then he pointed him back, and Jesus could have said, hey, come talk to me later. The debate on the Sabbath is work, so we'll do this tomorrow. But he didn't. He purposely revealed who he is. And because of this, two things really stand out, a theological one and a practical one. The theological revelation is this. Jesus was the fulfillment of every Jew's hope. He is the full fulfillment of everything. He's the Messiah. He's the one who would restore unworthy men like this invalid to a relationship with God. Back up to Leviticus again, 21. Then the Lord said to Moses, give the following instructions to Aaron. In all future generations, none of your descendants who has any defect will qualify to offer food to his God. No one who has a defect qualifies, whether is blind, lame, disfigured, deformed. If you have any kind of deformity, you cannot come and worship God. How many of us would be allowed to worship God then? I have asthma. That's a deformity. I can't worship God. Several of you have glasses. You're out. Some of you have contacts. You're hiding the fact that you have glasses, so you're out. Do we need to keep going on to any of our deformities and our problems? John, you're just out. Yeah. This is what God said. If you have any defect, you cannot come worship me. 
Yet prophecy also foretold of the day when the blind would see, the lame would walk, when God would bring true healing and bring people into him. And with a few words, Jesus says, remember that the defects can't come. I am fixing that. I am restoring you. He stirred it. He stirred it by purposely doing that. Jesus stirred it by purposely doing this on the Sabbath. The Jews didn't ask who healed the man, but told him who to carry, who told you to carry the mat. When Jesus told him to carry his mat, he is saying, I am greater than the law. The law is do not work. And I am commanding over that because I am greater. That's what Jesus is saying. He is greater than the law or any legalism we can dream up. And really, let's go back to the water here. The symbol of the water is the sign here. Water is a symbol of the old Judaism. The water of purification in chapter 2 in John. We could not produce the joy of the, the wine. Jesus changed the water into wine. He purposely stirred that up. That water failed and Jesus commanded over it. Then you go in chapter 4 that we looked at with the woman at the well. That water could not sustain. That water could not really fix the thirst. But Jesus can give eternal water, a life-springing water within us. That water in the well failed, but Jesus didn't. And this pool of water in Jerusalem failed again. And here is Jesus stirring it up, showing that he is the real change agent. What we need is the living water. We need Jesus. We don't need the laws. We don't need the rituals. We don't need the traditions. I need Jesus. That's what we all need. Do you have any idea who Jesus is? Who he truly can help heal you? You know his name, but do you know him? He's not a magic wand to wave over us. He's not an MRI machine. He is not a tool to be used when we're in trouble. He is God and he is always working. He is the Lord and he longs for you to know him. He healed the man, the man walked away, and Jesus went and found him again. Stop sinning for a greater purpose and blessing is coming. He longs for you to know him. Why? Because he knows you and wants to have a relationship with you. We all know the name, but do we take time to know the person of Jesus? Do we know the man who can truly make us well? Now, when we talk about the healing, there may be a lot of skepticism and questions that leave us unanswered. Am I saying that you'll all be healed easily as this lame man was? Absolutely not saying that. Am I saying that we all just have to think positive and, and good things are going to happen? No. If you've ever thought I've said that, please hear me. That doesn't work. This isn't the point of this scripture. It's the practical question that we should ask here. We had the theological one, and the practical one is, do you want to get well? Jesus asked that. Now, what do I need to get well from? Tony Campolo tells a story about being in a church in Oregon where he was asked to pray for a man who had cancer. Campolo uh, prayed boldly for this man's healing, and the next week he got a telephone call from the man's wife. She said, you prayed for my husband. He had cancer. 
had. Campolo thought when he heard her use that past tense verb in the cancer that it had been eradicated. But before he could think much about it, she said, he died. And he felt terrible. Then she said, but don't feel bad. When he came into that church that Sunday, he was filled with anger. He knew he was going to be dead in a short period of time, and he hated God. He was 58 years old, and he wanted to see his children and his grandchildren all grow up. He was angry that this all-powerful God didn't take away his sickness and heal him. He would lie in bed and curse God. The more his anger grew towards God, the more miserable he was to everyone around him. It was an awful thing to be in his presence. And as that was sinking in, she went on to say, after you prayed for him, a peace had come over him and a joy came back to him. Tony, the last three days he had had been the best days of our lives. We've sung, we've laughed, we've read scripture, we prayed. They were wonderful days. And I called to thank you for laying your hands on him and praying for healing. And then she said something very profound. He wasn't cured, but he was healed. Wellness is not about our physical health. It's about wholeness. You may never be 100% full, 100%, but you can be well. Jesus can make you well. Do you want to get well? It's not about me getting over my asthma. It's not me trying to lose the weight. It's about me being full in him, knowing that he's the only thing that can cause real wellness within my soul. And the only way that can happen is if I know him. So who's helped you? Who's healed you? So many people are going to start asking when we live the truth of this who did this to you? And it's Jesus. And it's not just the name, it's who he is. He is the son of God. He is the savior. He is my Messiah, my hope. He is the resurrection. And he is the only thing that can keep me in line and in line with God. It is all about him and what he does. It's not just Jesus. It is my Jesus, my savior. Do you know him? It's not about coming to church. It's about coming to Jesus. It's not about singing songs. It's about singing to Jesus. Do you know him? Sadly, I keep forgetting. And I mistake it. Thankfully, he still comes and finds me again. He says, hey, Donnie, you're doing well. But stop sinning. And really, if I could sum that up, he goes, hey, don't go that way. Follow me. And all we need to do is start telling everybody it's about him. Let me show you who Jesus is. And we can only do that if we know him. So do you know him? If you've never really met him, why wait? Why not change that today? Let him stir your heart. Let him bring that real true healing into your soul. If you need to meet him, why wait? And for those who do know him, maybe it's time to really reconnect. To connect with him in a stronger, more intimate way, a more consistent way.
why wait? Let's stand and let's pray to our Jesus. God, we thank you. Thank you that you are a God who saves us. A Jesus who truly loves us and knows us. God, help us to forget our walking away of going back to the old traditions. Help us to truly come to only embracing you. Forgive us, God. And thank you for giving us true healing. Bring us more into your presence so we can point others to you as well. And in your name we pray, and in your name we sing now. Amen.